welcome to It's Complicated, a podcast about healthcare ethics and practice presented by the Nova Scotia Health Ethics Network, or NSHEN. I'm Marika Warren, network ethicist for NSHEN, and I'll be your host for this discussion. I'm joined today by my colleague, Melanie Goodday, who is a member of the clinical ethics consultation team at IWK Health to talk through about how we prepare going into an ethics consultation. We'll be basing our discussion on a case that appeared in the Journal of Clinical Ethics, the link for which is found in the show notes. So this case is about questions that arise related to administering COVID-19 vaccine to an adolescent patient against the patient's wishes, but in alignment with parental wishes. So Mel, do you want to give us a sense of sort of an overview of the case and some of the the key details and why it came to the point of needing some ethics support? Certainly. Uh, So this case is about um, a 17-year-old woman uh, with a history of mental illness, um, predominantly mood uh, and substance use issues, who presented to a psychiatric unit uh, from a residential care facility following deterioration in her symptoms due uh, that was attributed to medication refusal and restrictive food intake. Um, so once she was uh, on the psychiatry unit, um, initially she didn't wasn't engaging in treatment, so that's you know medication groups therapy, um, and refused medication, citing um, that it wasn't natural. Her parents uh, consented to providing medication treatment over her objection at this point, and she was given medication for her uh, for her mental illness in oral form and then in IM form if if she was to refuse that. So her engagement in treatment improved, her weight was restored. Uh, and her move improved somewhat. Um, she did continue to uh, refuse oral medications, um, uh, at which point a behavioral reward plan was implemented, and that increased her uh, compliance with um, oral medications. So at the point of discharge planning, um, her parents wanted her admitted to another residential program. And the program that was chosen by parents, which had a- admitted her or accepted her, uh, required a dose of the COVID-19 vaccine. And the patient herself refused this vaccine. Um, She cited a number of reasons, including uh, the newness of the vaccine at that point, the emergency use authorization, um, the rapid development of the vaccine, and that she didn't want anything that wasn't natural in her body. Um, And also she talked a little bit about how she could mitigate the risk to other people at the residential care facility. And her parents disagreed with her risk-benefit analysis of becoming vaccinated, and they did consent to providing uh, vaccination over her objection. And so this consult um, arose because the team, there was some disagreement around uh, what they should do and then the resulting uh, moral distress that some were feeling. So yeah, so in terms of you know, coming at this case as an ethics consultant, sort of when you, you know, get a request like this coming in, what is some of the information that you sort of wonder about or what are for you some of the questions that you want to ask when you do sort of an initial follow-up call? Well, some of the questions I'd be asking was just around the exploration around the kind of the decisional context involved with both um, the patient, uh, the family, and the healthcare provider, um, because you could really appreciate here with that there be differing uh, balancing of the harms and benefits of vaccination over objection, depending on the perspective, and wondering, um, you know, what those perspectives uh, look like. What are some of those key factors? Um, and also, you know, if the team, you know, have they consulted with risk and legal? Um, have they uh, had these? Um, you know, uh, types of situations before where they've been um, asked to treat over objection and how they handled them in the past. And, you know, are there any, you know, ethically relevant differences between vaccination over objection and other forms of treatment over objection? Yeah, I think, you know, finding out, you know, some of that reasoning on the part of everyone involved 
for me, you know, struck me in this case as something that's you know, really important to really appreciate sort of where everyone's uh, coming from. And I think the other thing that struck me in this particular case was that it's clearly from a jurisdiction where patients aren't considered mature minors in terms of being able to make decisions. And for me, what was interesting was the way that I would approach it differently you know, in Nova Scotia, where you know, we do have the assumption that you know, age of majority isn't as important as actual decision-making skills in terms of approaching uh, cases like this. So I'd be curious, you know, sometimes you have healthcare providers who are involved who've come from different uh, jurisdictions and have some differing expectations. So wondering if that's playing into some of the team's distress as well, sort of having seen similar cases go differently. And even even if it is a jurisdiction where, you know, the sort of mature minor option isn't available in legislation, I think I would still also, you know, want to know what discussions around the capacity of the patient uh, had been uh, sort of thing. Again, even if the, the legal side is sort of clear, there's still the ethical uh, side as well where you have concerns. So I think those those two were also things that sort of flashed for me. Absolutely. And so in sort of thinking about how you're going to approach the discussion, I'm curious for you what sort of pinged or what you flagged as some of the key values for this case. Well, I guess some of the the key values um, that I was initially thinking about, knowing that obviously um, that can can change depending on what discussion occurs during the consult, but... Uh, we're definitely, you know, the piece around um, respecting the patient's autonomy and and to your point around, you know, not having the mature minor s- status in this area, but um, knowing that, um, you know, there are different ways to respect patient autonomy, um, even if legally she wasn't potentially able to make this decision. Um, I think also just respecting um, substitute decision making on best interests and, and that of the family, uh, patient and family centered care, you know, trauma informed care. Uh, minimizing harm. So, you know, healthcare providers did bring up, they were concerned about that she may not, um, it may disrupt their therapeutic relationship and she may not seek um, further mental health care in the future. Um, pieces around um, just trustworthiness and professional integrity and, and obviously moral distress um, that was identified as, um, as a significant issue. Yeah, I think the other piece for me that stuck out was the sort of role of relationships here mm. as well so the you know some of the concerns that the team had about the long-term relationship between the patient and healthcare providers of any stripe and whether an experience of you know enforced administration of you know vaccine might affect you know likelihood of the patient getting future vaccines or even just, again, engaging further. So recognizing that, uh, but also the relationship between the patient and parents um, and you know, thinking about what are our obligations to support that and to help sustain that, even when there is you know, that disagreement in that uh, relationship to nonetheless be able to sort of preserve other aspects, again, recognizing that that uh, is ongoing, but also relationship between members of the team mm-hmm. when you've got significant disagreement, sort of how to help the team have that disagreement well. Because um, certainly we, we want teams to you know, be able to disagree effectively with each other, but how to do that while still maintaining relationships of respect and trust and you know, mutual regard within the team that enables them to still work effectively together. 
absolutely. I was even thinking that you, you could really see how the healthcare provider or the staff team could even their own professional and personal values could be intention in this case. Um, and that some may, you know, um, share the same personal reasons um, as the patient for not wanting to be vaccinated. Some could share the same personal reasons with the parents for wanting her to be vaccinated. And that could potentially be intention is what they, you know, in terms of how they typically would develop a care plan uh, independent from the familial context and looking at, you know, what are the risk benefits in terms of her risk for COVID disease, whereas obviously the family needs to factor in um, that for them, residential care facility was necessary to support family functioning, continued recovery, and that would be a really key piece of their decision making that you think would necessarily differ. And so that could lead to different assessments of was it justified or not. Absolutely. And there's a lot of, you know, this is, I think, a nice case for showing how some of those details really matter that, you know, you might take on the surface that, well, there's a difference between therapeutic interventions and vaccination, which is a preventive intervention. But in this case where that preventive intervention is tied into something that's therapeutic and that, like you say, certainly seems in this case to be necessary for, again, well-being of everybody involved, that, again, it becomes... You know, harder to perhaps distinguish in in nice, clear ways that sometimes you know, we like to be able to say, well, this is very clearly different from that, and so therefore you know, we're fine in treating this differently from uh, from other things where you know it didn't sound like the team had that same sort of discomfort with the other treatments that were being provided, sort of against the patient's wishes, but with the uh, the parents' consent, and the other piece there to go back to some of the initial values you flagged as well, thinking about the role that mental health and mental disorders are playing in this case and the way that 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 often also makes things more difficult generally um, when there's some questions about how those disorders do or do not affect decisional capacity, sort of regardless of the age of uh, of the patient. And so sort of bringing those on board as well while also trying to recognize that there's you know, that history of assuming that the presence of any mental disorder sort of automatically you know, negated any potential for decisional capacity and that also not wanting to sort of swing you know, too far in that uh, direction. So there's a lot of things here, a lot of those values that are being very carefully balanced. And again, that it's not uh, sort of clear immediately one way or the other. So certainly a sort of case where you know you want to commend the team for reaching out mm-hmm. for ethics support. So from your perspective, in terms of thinking about you know, sort of going in and starting that conversation, what do you think you would frame as the main or the primary ethical question in this case? Well, so I was I was thinking, you know, it, it looks to be that, you know, um, is it is it justified for uh, her parents to uh, request that the team provide vaccination um, to their daughter um, in terms of that would respect their substitute decision making around best interests, um, even though she's objected and expressed her wishes not to be vaccinated, which that would you know direct action around respecting her own autonomy. So I feel like that would be one of the main um, ethical questions. Yeah, and I think again, sort of flagging for the team, sort of these other other aspects that we've mentioned in terms of values that they sort of, that they matter. But also there's sort of a need to focus the discussion as well, I think, would be something you know, going into a consult like this where there are a lot of layers that sometimes it can be challenging just from a sort of process standpoint to try and sort of you know, keep focus or to, to keep a sense of what we're talking about when and not mm-hmm. have everything sort of all all come in together, sort of with all the concerns being there at once. So, yeah, I think having that that focus strikes me as you know, something that uh, that I'd want to be very 
attentive to in a case like this, whereas, you know, in other cases, there may be more of a discovery of some of those sort of um, complementary or associated questions. Yeah, and I think even just helping, you know, the uh, one aim of the consult could definitely be to um, help the team develop a, a shared understanding of um, what are what are those decisional contexts, what are the key values at play for each of the perspectives and the parties involved, and and helping them to how can they better manage the moral distress within that disagreement, um, but having more understanding of where those decisions are coming from and what values are important um, to the different parties. To, to mitigate some of their concerns um, and, and also to plan for, um, you know, if there is something that they're they're still in disagreement with, how will they manage that? Yeah, and, and that focus on, you know, how do we move forward, again, in a way that, that works for everyone involved, even if it might not be exactly what you, know, you would have wanted going in. So, yeah, I think framing that out as the goal of the, uh, of the discussion. And I think also that piece that you mentioned around positioning folks in others' shoes in the situation and sort of helping them to think through in in a case like this where there may be that sort of strong sense of identification with either the patient or the parents to help folks get that other perspective, I think, again, in this particular case would be something that's especially valuable as a strategy. And I'm curious in terms of thinking through that as something that you might potentially need to do in the consult. Are there some things that you would go in with as scripts or as sort of you know, words that you would use to help people do that sort of repositioning of their thinking or of how they're approaching the case? Well, I was wondering just, you know, in terms of, you know, just kind of validating the fact that, you know, uh, definitely healthcare providers, obviously their their obligations and perspectives are necessarily going to be different than those of parents. And, um, and even amongst themselves, they may differ. And so that would... Um, likely create tension so that it could be expected that there'd be tension between those obligations um, and the values underlying them. But, um, you know, maybe to help uh, flesh out a little bit around, um, you know, the the patient's decision making and then the, the family's decision making within a context of needing the vaccine to, as a, as, you know, because it means to access another service to continue treatment for their child. Um, but understanding that, you know, for the healthcare provider's perspective, that you know, maybe may cause um, harm to the the patient in terms of seeking you know seeking care or damage to her you know um, ability to make decisions and and um, and trust uh, healthcare providers, but also knowing that as we said, those professional and personal values could be intention. So just providing um, a lot of hopefully providing folks with the language to be able to speak more to those um, decisional contexts that I think are uh, are really sensitive here because there could be some criteria when they realize that if this did change, then that would alter whether folks felt um, the same way about vaccination over objection, because the, the circumstances are so important in this case. Yeah, and they talk about, you know, if if the patient had really sort of physically resisted right. and it had gotten to the point of it was going to require restraint of some sort in order to provide the vaccination, that that would, again, shift how they felt the cost-benefit analysis landed in terms of what would or would not uh, be justified. Uh, and I, again, I find that interesting in terms of that was something that they sort of said, you know, once we've already decided that it's okay to do it against objections, it's sort of there, there was still an out if the patient um, was really resisting. And so I, again, I felt like, I don't, I don't know if we should leave it to, you know, the patient really having to, you know, resist in order to have uh, her choice respected. Yeah. 
it, it was a case certainly where I found myself having some strong uh, intuitions going into it. And again, whether that's because you know we do come from a, or a healthcare setting where mature minors are the norm, and so. Right. Uh, but yeah, it was uh, it was one where I thought it was useful for for me as an ethics uh, consultant thinking about okay, no, other people can legitimately come at this in in different ways. Absolutely. There's so many more things that yeah, you know, certainly we could uh, address, and <laughs> uh, and certainly you know, this was this would just be the preparatory stages, and then we would you know, go into a consult, and things might turn out to be entirely different than we were anticipating when we get some of that extra information. But from your perspective, if you know, we were looking to sort of have a plan sort of going forward and into the consult, what would be some of the sort of key things that you would be thinking about or sort of strategizing around uh, for the actual consult meeting? Well, I think, you know, just in terms of um, obviously you're, you know, you're trying to create a space where um, folks feel safe and able to speak up and have some of these difficult discussions. I think, you know, it sounds like, you know, because we know of this um, kind of the legalities of, of the framing of this case, it'd be important to, to I think, support the team to come up with ways to, um, you know, what are some, some ways that they're offering the patient choice and control within that kind of within maybe those limits if they do have to provide uh, vaccination over objection? Um, how will they manage that? Um, what have they done in the past? You know, how do they typically nav navigate when patients and uh, parents disagree over their treatment? What is their role in that case? Um, and just be, you know, mindful that, um, you know, the disagreements absolutely may remain, but how to flesh out some of that mutual shared understanding so that uh, people feel more confident in the process to get to whatever decision ends up they end up making. All right. So from your perspective, as we sort of wrap up the uh, discussion of this case, you know, what do you think this case tells us about why it's often very complicated when we're walking into clinical ethics consultations? Uh, maybe because we could have spoken another like an hour about this case. <laughs> um, I think, you know, the more you think about the, um, these ethical dilemmas are uh, dilemmas for a reason. So these are, you know, very thoughtful, well-meaning people from all perspectives. And it, it becomes quite evident when you think about um, the different values that people are uh, basing these decisions on, how, how challenging these situations become in practice and to actually execute some of these treatments and um, care interactions. Um, and it and just definitely, you know, I think it's a privilege to be asked to help facilitate some of these conversations. So it's important to be mindful of people have already given a lot of thought and time and effort into these uh, complicated situations. And that um, and that's because they're complex. So not to oversimplify or minimize um, very difficult situations. We'd like to thank you, first of all, for being the first repeat guest that we've uh, had on the podcast. And thank you for your insight and your wisdom and your you know, generosity with your time and you know, sitting down to discuss how you would approach this. We really appreciate it. Thanks very much. And so if you have any uh, ideas about other topics for the podcast, please feel free to contact Enshen through our website with any feedback you have. We'd like to also thank Lisbeth Vithoff-Nielsen, Krista Mleszko-Skerry, and the team at Dalhousie MedIT for the technical and production support with the podcast, as well as thank you going out to Ben Caps for the theme music. And most of all, thank you for listening. Until next time. Mm -hmm.